Hey, what's up, everybody? It is December 1st. Logan Chartrand back here again, hanging out this evening, actually live and in person with Robin. Robin, how's things going for you today? Hey, everything's going good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me over. We've got some more stories to share, some more information to dive into. Um, hanging out at your house today, we've got some more deer stories. It's been a pretty good season so far. So without even jumping into it, the main thing that I want this podcast to be about is I just want to hear about this story. You mentioned earlier um, we were grabbing some lunch and you said there were just a lot of just weird circumstances around it. So I want to hear this story of your final Missouri. 2019 buck tag yeah pretty uh pretty good season for me um this is the third buck second in missouri one in illinois and uh kind of funny the last time we talked was about a a week ago doing our thanksgiving podcast and um you know we kind of closed the show up with me talking about having a, a big chunk of the season left to fill that tag and what do you know, the day after we talked, I, I managed to fill it. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty nice deer. Um, I'm going to maybe work backwards with this story a little bit, and we'll just talk about the day I killed it first. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I couldn't, couldn't hunt the morning after we recorded the last podcast. I had to work. So went to work, got a bunch of meetings out of the way. Left work about 12.30, ate lunch in the truck, headed for the stand. And I had already told, Eric couldn't go with me this day, so I was going alone. And I already told Eric where I was going to be for safety reasons and um, had a particular spot in mind. And um, for some reason, 15 minutes away from there, I changed my mind, just had a feeling I needed to go to a different property and... So totally on this gut feeling went to a property that we've only hunted a few times and in fact a stand that we haven't hunted this year at all. So I climbed into the stand first time in the stand and um, got in the stand. I had left the video camera in the truck because it was raining and uh, did get rained on quite a bit for a little bit. And, you know, I was kind of thinking, yeah, what a gut feeling this is and, um, I was, I had noticed there looked like a scrape down below my stand and was looking at that scrape through the binoculars, thinking I was going to move the trail camera to that scrape. Heard a little bit, something looked up and here's a nice buck, like literally 18, 20 yards away, already in a shooting lane, standing there. Oh my goodness, you've had some crazy, insane uh, luck and chance with deer. <laughs> Your last two both have been, uh, had some pretty exciting things about them. Yeah, kind of a totally opposite end of the spectrum. The You know, the deer we talked about from Illinois a show or two ago was one that I was watching and trying to get to come to me and couldn't and then rattled and, you know, had him in sight for several minutes. And then this one, I just looked down and here's a buck standing there. But it was, uh, this, this day it had rained enough already that the leaves were completely quiet and it was pretty windy. And when I first looked down and seen him there, I, I almost panicked because I didn't think I, w I was even going to be able to grab my bow, much less shoot him. And, um, he walked behind a little bitty tree real slow and he walked slow enough. I was able to turn and get my bow in my hand, but I couldn't turn and face him all the way. And he stopped, 
And when I first saw the deer, I would, I would, my first thought was literally, holy shit, nice buck. <laughs> it's usually how it goes, like, oh, oh my goodness. And so now I'm standing there holding my bow, and he's not moving other than looking all directions. And, and how long had you been in the stand at this point? Probably about an hour and 10 minutes. Okay, so a little while. It wasn't like you were still unpacking no, or getting no, settled No, I, I was ready. I just didn't see him coming at all. And so while he was standing there like a statue... I was telling myself, make sure you think he's big enough. And I remember thinking to myself, he's got a ton of mass. There's no way you can pass him up. And, but then I was also already thinking, there's no way you can kill him. There's nothing to use for cover to draw. He's already wired. The wind feels like it's blowing in all directions. I could feel it hitting my neck, kind of going towards him at times. And I really didn't think it was going to work out. Now, where he had stopped, his nose was behind the tree I wanted to use for cover to draw, but his eyeballs weren't. And so I'm standing there and standing there and standing there, and he probably stood there for two minutes. And it, at one point it hit me, you should just try to draw, and I'm like, you know, of course, this <laughs> argument Starting in my to head, get antsy. I'm sure you've been there too, like, you know. Oh, yeah. I, should I get more aggressive? Do I just need to yeah, go? Should yeah. I sit back and wait? It's almost always, always, always better to sit back and wait, but that is not always the decision uh, it, I go with. It, so he took a little, about a half a step, and one eyeball was behind the tree, so now I could see one eyeball, and I was, like, arguing with myself. That's enough. Do it. And then he took another, like, just a little bit of a shift, and his other eyeball went behind the tree, so I started drawing as slow as I could. And then I noticed just one of these lucky things that just as I started to draw, he started walking. So I was able to just finish my draw, and now he's in the wide open at 15 yards, no trees anywhere to be had. And I was able to just take my time, and I, I remember saying, check your level, get your anchor. And then the next thing I know, I mean, the arrows threw him, and I knew immediately it was, you know, no, not a question. It was a perfect shot. And he took two jumps, walked 15 yards, stood there, and fell over dead, didn't even kick. Wow, that is crazy that it happened that yeah. way. And you mentioned a couple things that I want to go back to, um, the first being probably the most recent thing. When you're drawing, I found myself doing that a lot, even this year, again, probably, well, definitely the nicest bow buck I've ever taken this year. And still throughout the process, I was thinking about the process. I was thinking about those things like, all right, are my feet right? Am I settled in? Is my grip right on the bow? Do I have the level sitting? Is the bubble sitting in the middle of the level um, what gets you to that point to where if you had to give anybody some advice on how do I get away from, um, your first thought of, holy shit, that's a big buck. That's where a lot of, especially early on, that's where even we would stop our decision-making process and just go into, I got to try to shoot at it. Any tips or advice to get somebody to that point where when you're drawing back, you're thinking about the process of the shot and not the animal that you are excited to try to get a shot at. Well, for me, that just honestly came with experience and, and let's face it, killing shit, right? I, it took me a long time early on in my bow hunting career to get to that point. That was where I found myself always messing up, always 
deciding to draw and try to kill something and rushing at all and you know for me it always rushing always led to shooting way to the left and missing or shooting high over their back and missing and um the one thing i think and and i mentioned it check my i always tell myself check your level that seems to be the one thing that focuses me and after that i don't have to think about anything else and it took me a long time well number one you know i say early in my career there were no levels on our sites back then now almost everyone has a level on their site now not everyone uses it but i use it for a check for my for me to get me on track Hell, I think when I first started, we still had the metal pins where you could move each one independently, and I had some that were pushed out further <laughs> than others and thought that was just normal, much less, you mean I'm going to put a bubble level right, on this site? Exactly. Like, we yeah. just had painted fingernail polished pins that we would use back then. Yeah, I remember getting the old fluorescent paint and painting those big bulbs on the end of the metal pins so you could see them better. And But for me, that's the one thing. And another little bit of tidbit I would throw in there, I always try to never draw on a deer while it's standing still it's for me always when it's moving and what i've figured out is if the deer's moving that's not when i want to shoot it so there's two things there it's moving it probably can't see you as easily when you're moving but it also gives me time to figure out when i need to stop the deer or just let it stop on its own so that calms me down some I think that's a really good tip, too, about the movement part. And I'm certainly no scientist when it comes to deer, but I've heard a lot, you know, when you think about their vision, um, they see things kind of like um, how we might view TV, even in a, a wider screen format and narrower vertically. Um, so as that deer starts to move, everything in its world is starting to move. Their eyes don't stay focused. It's not moving past things. It's seeing everything start to shift. So when you wait until it's starting to move one it's trying to look at where it's going but there's so much moving in its eyes that it helps even if you don't have a lot of cover to be able to do it then um, but as you mentioned too just knowing that i can't shoot it i don't want to shoot it while it's moving if at all possible i think we've probably all been there at some point in time wouldn't recommend it for any newer shooter i had to shoot a lot of stationary deer before i felt kind of good enough to be able to know where to aim on a moving deer or when if it's the right situation there uh, a couple really, really key tips. I think for me, I'm thinking a lot of the same things. I do start with my grip when I'm thinking about my bow. I'm kind of a bow nerd. I'm definitely no pro shooter, uh, but I shoot so much that um, to take my mind off of it, I really do. I focus on the process. Once I've decided I'm going to shoot a deer, like when I first saw that deer, it was an instant, no doubt shooter this year. And from there it was get my bow. Where do I have a shooting lane? grip it right is my release everything in am i gripping my release right that's another part of it i don't want to grip the release deeper start to ham hand it or anything as i'm drawing back but it's anchor center my sight and my peep check the level and then from there it's simply just keep that pin right where i want to hit until that shot goes off and it's not necessarily a surprise um, i think a lot of shooters we are somewhat surprised but when we're hunting it's really not a, a surprise release when it's going off we want to have some control over that um, but a couple things that could help somebody who's maybe thinking how do i keep from getting so excited the other part that helps me is just the practice because when i'm practicing i'm not thinking oh my goodness or holy shit big buck i'm thinking 
are my feet right? Are my hips right? Do I have the bow gripped correctly? And I'm thinking about all that form and that technique and then doing that probably without over-exaggerating, maybe a hundred times a week or so. Um, is there anything that you do during season to keep yourself sharp or heck this season, just shooting deer, it seems like it's kept you pretty sharp, but do you have any sort of routine to help you kind of keep remembering that as season gets further, you get past Thanksgiving, you're maybe a little slower from the food comas, uh, just anything to stay polished while you're out hunting? Well, I'm going to back up because I forgot one, I think important step for me to answer your early question. What, what was one one thing that got me on track with shooting deer? And f- the biggest thing for me was that I started, um, as the season grew closer, I switch away from shooting at spots completely and shoot nothing but deer targets. That in itself, I think, totally turned me around and got me to the point where basically if I want to kill a deer, I can do it. And the reason is early on, I would just, I would literally tell myself that's just the target in your yard and treating the deer just like I do the 3d target in the yard really got me on track with shooting deer. Now this time of year, going back to that question, my routine is, um, anytime I have a minute, whether it might be as soon as I get home from work and it's not dark yet. Or maybe it is um, getting ready to go out on an afternoon hunt. I will step out and shoot one arrow at my deer target. And it won't be in any certain place in the yard. I'll just walk out, turn around, decide how far I think it is, and shoot. And that has done uh, a lot to keep me ready to be able to make that happen when it's not a target but it's a real deer. And I'm not going to pretend like I still try to shoot 50 or 100 arrows a week or anything like that because I don't. But what that has also done, this not this year, but in the past, has shown me, wait a minute, something's wrong. Meaning, you know, that one arrow was way off, so okay, let me shoot another one. That one's off, so something's happened to my equipment or something with my form has fallen apart. And, you know, in the past it's been a bent rest prong or, you know, something along those lines. But it gives me the chance to know, okay, something needs attention, either me or my equipment, so let's get it on track. And so then, you know, whether it's a retune or or finding a problem or sometimes it's just your grip, you know, you've fallen out out of place and your muscle memory with your grip or whatever it is, get that on track, and then I can go back to the the one arrow now and then. Yeah, and I think you nailed it with it too, adding into the practice. And this was part of, I think, one of the lessons that maybe Jack learned this year is trusting in yourself. So when you go out and you have that bad shot, it's not, oh, let me move my sight. It's, there's probably something wrong. Um, and y'all might hear the the elephant in the room. We might as well just go ahead and talk <laughs> about them. Um, we are in a very pet-friendly kitchen right now. How many dogs do we even have cruising around this place, We got Robin? three of them walking around. So I know we. I've heard about um, Otis here. Tell us, Just tell us a little bit about the dogs since they're going to be a part of our, our background ambiance anyway. Tell us a little bit about the pups. So we got Otis the Walker Coonhound who's not a coonhound, but he is, but he isn't. He's a, a 60 pound lap dog. 
And then we've got two pugs, Stanley and Olive. And it looks like they've all decided it's time to argue over the food. And uh, yeah, so. That's fine. We just got done arguing over the food ourselves, too. So I guess they got their shot. All right. All right. All right, so now that we've uh, we've definitely covered the dogs, going back to um, some of those things that we were talking about, knowing, like, trust yourself. If you have practiced enough and you know you're shooting well and you go out and you have a bad shot, don't automatically assume maybe it's just move the rest. Start looking at your equipment or really think through what that form is. Did I do something wrong? Because this isn't normal. I know that that's not just a shot that I might make and, oh, well, I guess I'm shooting right today. So let me move everything. Definitely make sure that you're going through your equipment, but I know not everybody can do that. So, um, if you're having those issues, I, like for me and you, we do a lot of work on our bows. I mean, I've got two different bow presses at my house. I've got all the equipment pretty much. I um, don't make my own strings or anything, but I can I can get in and start to really work on a bow if I need to. Uh, but at least my feeling, I'm sure you probably feel the same way, but I won't speak for you. If you're going and you're shooting that inconsistently and you're kind of all over the place, I mean, take the time to get your bow back to the bow shop. Let a good bow tech look at it. Don't just head out into the woods and think, well, I, as long as I get an arrow into it, I'm going to find this deer. I would definitely say for anybody that if you don't feel comfortable messing with your equipment, tweaking it back, trying to fix it up, um, kind of like working up a deer, it's not very difficult if you spend a little bit of time doing it, but we know not everybody's as big of a geek as we are about some of this stuff. Um, so I would say take the weekend off, get your bow into the shop, have it looked at, and then get back on track before you go just start trying to fling an arrow, especially uh, even more so, well, any deer really, but everybody says, well, I've got such a big buck. So you really want to go stick an arrow in the ass of this great deer and potentially have it go run off and die. Um, so the importance of just making sure, because our bows do get bumped around when I'm bringing mine up into a tree or letting it back down, especially letting it back down. I always let it all the way to the ground. My rope doesn't like hang short so that my bow is elevated. Um, what are some of the things that you've mentioned, maybe like a bent um, rest or something like that. Anything else that you would say from your experience, take a look at this. If you do step out and I know we're going to, we way off track from the deer <laughs> story and I want to go back to it, but just before we do, um, the rest, the site, I think is something that can, um, kind of get messed up. What else would you say? Look for this and then maybe, you know, you fix it on your own or get it into a bow shop. Yeah. The first thing I check is did, could the rest have moved or was it maybe bent? Then I, I then I, wait a minute, I meant the site. So the site, the next thing I look at is the rest. And even if you don't have a bunch of tools, I mean, what you're really looking at is uh, at your rest highest point at full draw, if it's drop away, is it still square? In, um, is it center shot? And, you should be able to tell if it's moved enough to make a difference just by eyeballing it. And then the last thing would be the loop because a loop can get moved on you. Um, you know, not everyone ties a loop just right and that stuff happens. Servings come loose. And if there's nothing obvious, you know, you really want to shoot enough to make sure that it's even your equipment and not you, you know, you want to put a session in and, you know, if you're throwing three left and one dead center and one right, well, it's probably you, you know, and so you need to get back on track yourself. 
But those are the three things that you're going to want to check that you can check easily. Of course, it can, we can get <laughs> there. We go. <laughs> we can get way in depth, you know, and start talking about timing and cam movement and all that. And all those could be a factor, but more than likely, if everything's just right and all of a sudden they're not, it's going to be something a little more obvious. And uh, I had to do a, a check on mine. I I got my bow tangled up on the way lowering it down out of the stand and uh, i had to drop it about 10 feet Oof. i had no choice just the way the rope got all tangled up and so down to the ground it went and luckily nothing happened to it if it landed on top of my pack instead of smashing on the ground oh man like thank your lucky stars yeah. for that i would have been <laughs> so like i don't i would have probably stopped breathing my heart probably would have stopped well for a two seasons ago i dropped the same bow twice out all the way out of a stand twice oh. in the same season. So, yeah, stuff happens. That's crazy. Um, so mentioned a few really key, easy things to take a look at. The only thing that I would add to that, one of the easiest ways, even if you didn't do it before and you get your bow back from a shop, take some measurements. Um, it's pretty cheap to go get some of the little bow level things, but just measure where everything is at. Measure from the very dead center of your rest over to the riser shelf, the vertical part um, of the riser there at the shelf. Write all of that down so that when you do get to a point where maybe you start to see some of those issues, you can go back and check those measurements and really easily know. And then from there, um, for something like a rest or a site, usually a set of Allen wrenches is all you need to be able to get in there and correct that and get everything back on site. So now that we know that your bow is on and you're ready to go, you climbed up in this stand. You said, um, drew back, you knew no doubt that it was shot. You said what ran about maybe 20 yards yeah, 20 before or 25 yards. piling up. You've had a lot of success. In fact, next week we have an interview with um, Derek Craig and his daughters. And Derek is actually the guy who designed the broadhead that you and I have been using this year um so not anything just because we're definitely not you know this isn't a paid advertisement or anything but you've been using those magnus uh black hornet serrazers what are your thoughts over that i i've had a lot of questions from people who heard that i was shooting those why those over um a regular just the black hornet without the serrations in the blade is there anything that you would say one way or another if somebody's kind of leaning either direction for um, that obviously you have a lot of faith in that broadhead. So if they're looking for something, why might somebody benefit from taking a look at that serrated part? And I know you're not Derek and you didn't design it, but just from your experience, from all the animals that you've put down with it, what is it about those serrations that make you kind of lean that direction? Well, I, I don't know all the technical gibberish over the serrations, but I have read the technical explanations of serrations and, why they're beneficial and um the explanations some came from Derek some came from the owner uh, Mike Soam and you know think of a steak knife a steak knife a serrated steak knife is meant to work with movement where a um, straight blade knife is meant to work by pushing and so the thought is the serrations with an arrow moving through is more efficient at cutting. And um, I just decided to try one to see if I liked them. And I tested them out on wild hogs, actually, you know, which I consider to be one of the best 
test for a fixed blade head or any head for that matter. And what I found right away was I was getting excellent penetration, excellent blood trails, which is not easy to do get on a wild hog and, and quick deaths. So um, I went from hogs to deer and I've been using them for mm, two last two seasons at least, if not three. And I, they've just worked tremendously for me. And um, before I was using these black hornets, I was using experimenting with big expandables. And, you know, the big holes were cool and all. But what I figured out is that, that those big holes weren't making deer fall any faster. They weren't really giving me better mm-hmm. blood trails. And most people equate a big, giant, gaping hole to better blood trails and quicker recoveries and that hasn't proven to be the case at all for me yeah and i mean obviously i'm not sitting here i've used some of the big expandables and had some luck in the right situations i've had some bad luck with them but i'm not here to say that don't use expandables that they're crap and anything but i have had a lot of um just looking at even the wound channel on my deer with those serrated edges been pretty fantastic. So had some really good personal firsthand luck. So excited next week to be able to talk with Derek's daughters and about their experience in hunting and living with a dad who is an engineer geek and likes to design broadheads on top of everything else in the video. Um, We've got that coming up. You'd mentioned that there were a lot of different, just kind of maybe weird, I don't know is the right word. I don't think that's what you used, but um, some circumstances that popped up. So you had a really good night with your deer, but you also got a little bit of maybe, if not bad news, some sad news that night about another deer, right? Yeah, it was like a couple days of just weird kind of circling circles of circumstances. And let's start with the deer that I killed first. So when the deer were standing there, I remember thinking, this is a really nice deer, but I also thought, well, I don't recognize the deer, and I, that's not all that surprising. You know, of course, we can't get pictures of every single buck in these suburban areas. It has a chance of passing through, but I remember texting, you know, my circle of buddies and saying, I just shot a really good one. He's already down, and they said, what buck was it? And I said, I don't recognize him. But whenever I walked up to him, I instantly recognized the buck. It was a buck that we had been watching going all the way back to August, watching with cell cameras, that is. And um, what was odd about it was we uh, started watching this buck on a totally different property about a mile away from where I was hunting in the summer. And... Eric had hunted by himself the evening before in this buck. We named him Cottonball. He saw Cottonball on the other property a mile away the evening before. So the last thing in my mind was that Cottonball was going to come walking through. and But he did. And uh, we had gotten a couple pictures on this property of Cottonball over the last month and by a couple i literally mean two on two different cameras that's crazy he wasn't a regular visitor there but we knew that he could be on that property um but for eric to see him a mile away the night before that that was just really weird now throw another twist on this whole thing cotton ball was standing right next to the deer that i shot in september when i shot him 
Really? On that other property, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's if you insane. remember when we talked about that that deer that I shot in September, I said that he was with a few other bucks. Well, Cottonball was one of them. That's crazy. So to be able to get both of those deer that you saw early on, both great bucks, but quite a distance, I mean, not quite a distance necessarily in deer area terms, but not like it's just right on a neighboring property for you. I mean, that deer had to cross several different properties and go quite a ways to get just to this other spot. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, it was pretty warm. Actually, we had some crazy weather here lately, a lot of south winds where the temperatures got warmed up. And you had to go back to actually some of the warm weather deer care stuff. You had to break your big tub back out, didn't you? Yep. Broke out the tub. It was, um, I think, 60 degrees when I shot shot the deer the other day. So um, it wasn't quite the emergency, you know, recovery that I had in September, but still got him out as quick as I could and gutted and icing him on the way home and icing the tub and... Um, in this case, I just kept him in the tub. So that was the day before Thanksgiving. No, two days before Thanksgiving. So I pulled him out of the tub on Thanksgiving and was able to hang him because the temperatures had dropped. So now he's hanging and um, he's got another day or two to hang and then I'll be processed. Awesome. So you've actually used kind of both methods. Once it got cool enough to get it back out in the air, any reason to get it out of the ice and back into the air? Do you like something about the air drying, air cooling a little bit more than being in ice? Or no, was it just more no, convenient? More just convenience because if I had left him in the tub, I was going to have to, you know, each day drain the tub, make sure there was ice in it. And this way, I, with it being as cold as it is, just get him hung up and I can basically be carefree with him for a few days. Nice. And I mean, you're not doing, when we pulled up, you're like, did you see the deer? I was like, no, actually, I turned around right behind where I backed up to. So I guess good thing there weren't small children or anything playing <laughs> behind me. Um, just hanging outside because. By this point, there might be some people worried about hanging a deer outside and maybe, you know, if you live in a really polluted area or something, maybe, but um, not a big deal to just have your deer hanging out in the open air. Um, Again, you're not in a a subdivision where that is a big deal. That might change things a little bit, but from a, a cleanliness or ability or anything that might impact the meat or the flavor, there's really not a lot of downside of letting this deer hang out here, split open, field dressed, somewhat exposed to just the natural air. No, no, I, I, it's just as good or better. Maybe some people think it's better to dry age and here we go with the dogs again. (laughs) That's all right. It's their house as much as it's yours. So uh, we'll let them fight over the food over there. Um, the, The only negative is, is for example, the exposed hams, um, they'll get just a little bit of a, like a dry, um, cap to them. Sure. Almost like a rind. Yeah. Kind of that but skin I mean, it's super up. easy to just trim that, you know, it's like a 16th inch off and, um, you know, it works well. So. Awesome. Uh, so we talked about that one and then there is the story of Jack. So if anybody's been following you on social media for any length of time, they've probably heard about or seen pictures of Jack. Tell us a little bit about um, kind of this story of Jack and the coincidences behind or circumstances behind you even finding out about this. Yeah, that that was the, I found out um, basically that this deer that I had 
named Jack had gotten killed during rifle season. Um, I found that out the night before that I shot this buck that we're talking about. And uh, I had been getting pictures of Jack for the last three years. And predominantly, I was able to get pictures and keep track of him uh, starting uh, about mid-December each year. And then he would be around all winter, all spring, all summer, and then through September, and then he would disappear. So I got a picture. Someone texted me a picture and said, hey, sorry to be the one to tell you this, but a buddy of mine saw this at the taxidermy shop, and it was Jack. Oh, no. So, I mean, I guess it doesn't make the death any better, but no. to have been in there at the shop and see it being brought in, but then to for that to have been sent to a friend of yours, which I'm sure was not a, hey, I know this guy who knows a guy. Well, it, it's I mean, even weirder than that because – what had really happened was this buddy of mine that sent me the picture has another friend who started showing him some trail cameras of this buck, this big buck. And so my buddy recognized the deer. It was Jack. And he was like, well, where are you getting these pictures? And he kind of told him, and it, it's about a, mm, almost two miles from my house um, or where I was getting pictures of him. So... This kid, this kid was telling my buddy, yeah, I'm getting pictures of him like almost every day. And and so, you know, this mutual friend knew that Jack had moved, right? Well, then the same kid that was getting trail camera pictures of him just happened to stop in at this taxidermist shop and see Jack laying on the floor and oh. recognized him from his own trail cam pictures. Oh, wow. So he wasn't even the guy that got the deer exactly. off of the pictures. Exactly. He just had some pictures. Yeah, so it's just a weird set of circumstances that I was even able to find out. And I mean, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, like, I don't. I'm sure there there obviously are people who do it, but just to randomly stop into the taxidermist anyway, just like hang out and talk. I mean, I guess if you've got a buddy who does one and you want to go see all the nice heads, but such a crazy amount of events and i think if i've learned anything from this podcast it's deer going to travel or if anybody else might learn anything from this I, i've known that they can move quite a long ways but almost sounds to me like he had shifted his home range for that particular time of the year was a couple miles away so he's picking up and moving shop and you know they're not just hanging around in this one small area so it's not unheard of that, and even with your deer to see it a mile away one evening and then the very next day see it you know somewhere else so um as you're doing that again you're gonna have deer that are moving through you i think the meme going around right now about the person who's been watching the buck on their land for the last three yeah, years exactly. like well, i can show you in my freezer yeah that um, just about fits me perfect right there <laughs> i just saw that today so, in fact yeah, so, um, I mean, know that deer are going to move, and we're at that point in time of the year, at least here in east-central Missouri, where um, they are moving quite a bit, maybe still searching for some of those last hot does. So you're still in a situation um, where you could potentially still see these deer um, or see new deer that you haven't run into. But I know, especially at our place, it has really, really dropped. I mean, the, the amount of camera pictures that we're getting has really fallen off in the last couple weeks. Um, but I think the deer just kind of pushed through. I don't think we've got a hot doe on us right now, and the bucks kind of know that. So, I mean, they'll trickle through eventually there. 
one of the questions. Anything else about Jack before we move away from that? No. Well, some someone's probably wondering why did I call him Jack, and the reason was that he was uh, all jacked up. He had was blind in one eye, which who knows why, but his eye was totally missing. Actually, he only had one eye, and um, hit the opposite side back leg from that eye had obviously been broken at one point in time and it was healed, but he had, his knee was just a big ball. And so, um, one side of his rack was kind of jacked up too. So we just, all of us that were watching named him just became jacked everybody. Yeah. And he was, he was a really nice deer. It's uh, I'm sure someone was proud to shoot him. I don't know who it was and maybe it was someone else that was watching him or maybe it was just a random, thing too you know uh you mentioned deer on the move and just real quick i'll sum up what's been happening for us um obviously bucks are somewhat still traveling in the suburbs at least where we hunt because just like we talked about cotton ball was on one property one day and a mile away the next and um we've also gotten pictures of um uh, a small handful of deer showing up on trail cams bucks i mean that we've never gotten pictures of and a couple of them are real super dandies too i mean like big big deer that that we've never seen and we may never see them again on camera or in person but they're passing through and uh last night i videoed eric he passed up a a really nice buck that was on the move and then right at dark we saw a super nice buck that was actually with a doe like right on her so Still happening a little bit, and bucks are still moving for sure. Yeah, just have to be out there to be able to find it. Um, always like to try to, at least before we wrap up, address one listener question um, on each episode that we do. And one of the um, ones that I found interesting to come in because I actually do, but um, we got a question from a listener who wanted to know, do you have any superstitions around hunting? And I guess since we're in, I've got lots of different probably little superstitions or things that I will do or make sure that I do for different seasons. But since we're in deer season right now, do you have anything that you either always do, a, a token item that you always carry with you or any sort of superstitions when it comes to deer hunting? Well, this wasn't a setup question, just so everybody knows that. Um, I didn't even know what the listener question was going to be. I have a feeling I'm about to hear something really interesting. No, (laughs) no, but my, my superstition really is to, if I get a gut feeling to listen to my gut and do what it says and it's paid off, um, a lot of times for me, including just a handful of days ago with cotton ball. I think when we first started talking about him. I said I changed my mind where I was going at the last minute, and that was totally a gut feeling. Yeah. I I even posted on Instagram. You, people can go. Anyone that follows me saw it that I just took a quick picture and said I'm here on a gut feeling, not sure why or something. Yeah, it wasn't like even that. you know it was still right after you got in the stand. Yeah, that I saw. Hey, a new spot tonight based on this gut feeling, and I was gonna kind of ask. I mean, because it doesn't sound like well the wind was different. There was just something that made you feel like this yep. is where I should probably be tonight. Yeah, there was not. No real, I mean, we had some trail cam pictures of some decent bucks on the property, excuse me, but nothing, nothing like real recent or no daytime. The the wind was good for the stand. I mean, but it was 
good for two other stands that I was strongly considering. In fact, I decided to hunt and I was actually going to hunt the same stand that Eric had seen cotton ball the day before. That's where I was originally headed and just something about it. I'd already told Eric and my girlfriend where I was going, you know, for safety reasons and change, you know, let them each know that I changed my mind. And even Eric was like, well, why'd you go there? And I said, I don't know. Good feeling right here, right now. (laughs) So, yeah. That's my superstition is if you got a gut feeling, you got to listen. Trust your gut. It will save you more often than not. Sometimes you need to trust it to get down out of the tree stand right now. And other times you need to trust it on where um, to tell you which tree stand to go to. That's a, a pretty good superstition, just some overall g- good advice in general. I think I've got, like I said, a few different things that I do. Um one, obviously, huge Ohio State Buckeyes fan. So, go Bucks! OH, we just beat that team up north yesterday. Still riding that high from that. That always feels good, regardless of where we're ranked or any other implications on it. Um, but also, we just happened to find that there are Buckeye trees all over our property in north-central Missouri. So, one of my superstitions is that I will always have a Buckeye with me somewhere in my pack. I've always got to take that. Uh, But the other thing that I must do at the beginning of every deer season, not necessarily on every hunt, but it is not deer season for me until I have listened to drowning pool bodies. Uh, Something about let the bodies hit the floor that gets me all pumped up, motivated. I've got a two hour drive up to the farm. So that is always readily available. I've got it uh, bookmarked on YouTube. Uh, Like I said, that is the start of my hunting season is we have we've played bodies it's time to go let's get serious let's get out in the stand so that's a couple of the things that i've just i've always do if you look at any of my packs my turkey pack my deer pack anything that i've got you're gonna find a buck a buckeye in there at some point in time so Awesome questions. Would love to hear what some of your superstitions are. Um, You can let us know. We always wrap up telling you where you can find us. Facebook and Instagram. If you search Hotshot Archery or at Hotshot Archery, you'll be able to find both of our pages there. You can certainly comment or shoot us a message and let us know what some of your superstitions are. Just like this question came from our um, email inbox. You can also definitely email us your questions podcast at hotshotmanufacturing.com. Would love to hear again what your superstitions are. What are some of those things that you always have with you or always have to do, or maybe that you avoid kind of like a baseball player who never steps on um, the foul line or can't touch any chalk when they're heading on or off the field. We want to know what your superstitions are. So um, definitely let us know again, message us, comment, send us an email. Would love to hear from you about that. Also, again, don't forget our um, brand new release. The hookup is out. It's available online. You can go to www.hotshotmfg.com. You can find that. You can also find any back episode of the podcast. This does get uploaded to our website before any other podcast app or server or host anywhere. Um, So again, maybe even make sure that you bookmark the podcast uh, tab on our website there. If you want to have earlier access to be able to listen to some of these podcasts, Robin, any last words, anything that's popped into your brain over the last several seconds that you really want to make sure that we cover on this episode before we wrap things up for the week? Yeah, I want to make sure the listeners know that we apologize for the company of dogs that we have put up with in this podcast. <laughs>
Well, I would doubt we probably have too many people who aren't dog fans around here, and they're probably thinking, man, my dogs would be doing the same damn thing. So, uh, again, just maybe one of those things that makes us all a little bit more like you than what you would have imagined beforehand. So, really appreciate it. And we've got some great episodes coming up over the next few weeks. You're definitely not going to want to miss next week with Derek and Trevor and Sydney Craig. That was a really fun episode, talking with a couple young ladies about their life and what it was like for them getting into the outdoors living in Indiana. So that'll be a really good one. Again, continue to subscribe. Let your friends know about us. Have them download it. Subscribe. Click that five-star rating for us if you've got the option to do that. I know I get a lot of questions about how can I rate you. I honestly have no idea this podcast can be found pretty much anywhere podcasts can be found. And I don't know how all the different apps work, but if you're using Apple or something like that and you've got the ability to give us a rating, we definitely would appreciate those five-star ratings and just continued support. Thank you so much for continuing to listen and send us your feedback and your questions. We, we definitely couldn't do a lot of this without you all. So we appreciate that and we will see you all next week.